0: reading will be from Genesis chapter 6, verses 12 through 22. It's the account of God talking to Noah about the impending flood. Genesis chapter 6, verses 12 through 22. In the Red Pew Bibles in front of you, it's found on page 5. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, he did all that God commanded him.
1: If there ever was a story that wasn't for kids, you might say it was about Noah and the flood. I say that not to say that we've ever been wrong for teaching our kids about Noah and the flood. Certainly we are right in doing so because it is a biblical account and it's something that God wants our children to know. But if it were a movie about how someone were to destroy the world and how death and decay was happening and how so many terrible things were taking place in the world, we probably wouldn't want our kids to see that particular movie. And so oftentimes this is the children's version as we think about Noah and the flood, right? We have a nice looking colorful boat with some animals that have smiles on their faces and, and they're just kind of hanging out the side of, of the ark and everything kind of seems to be somewhat cheery. But really the Bible's version with some artistic license here, as we said, is very much one of, of pain and destruction and death. And so as you think about these things, I want us to for sure realize this this evening, as we continue our study, not just for kids, that the flood, Noah and the flood, the account of Noah and the flood is one that you and I ought not to relegate to just being for the kids, but there is very much a message for us as adults, as grown individuals. And so there are a variety of ways that we could go with this lesson this evening. We could talk about the reliability of scripture about the flood, about how we can see the world around us and how it is in many cases explained by a global flood. We could talk about the fact that the ratio that God has given to Noah and the the builder of Noah and perhaps his sons building that ark, that that ratio is the is the greatest ratio that, that has ever been discovered for its breadth and its its length and its height and, and its width and all of those all of those numbers that are associated with it for being a cargo ship of sorts, to be, able, to be able to endure such a tumultuous environment as that. We could talk about how there are specific guidelines that Noah was given. We're going to talk about that some, but there's a variety of ways and, and approaches that we could spend in talking about this particular lesson. But I wanted us, as we think about this Not Just for Kids series, I want us to ask the question, why do we have this particular account given to us and in the place in which it is given to us? Why does God tell us about this flood and what what do we learn from it? What does God want us to come away knowing about him and about our relationship with him as a result of having seen and understood what took place many, many years ago? And so really, if we were to boil this account down, the account of Noah and the flood, we might put it in this two these two simple categories. Number 1, what makes God sad? And number 2, what makes God glad? And that might seem very simplistic, but it really is the truth. We see in the world around Noah uh, very much so that God is made sad because of what is taking place. But on the flip side, if you will, we see that Noah brings joy to God, that there is this favor that is found in God's eyes by Noah. And so as we think about how it's, how is demonstrated on the screen here, and it may seem simplistic, don't look at it necessarily just as some very oversimplified thing, but very much so the big picture. And also for our purposes this evening, as we talk about these lessons, these not just for kids series, it's not just for adults either. Right? We want our kids to be able to listen in and hear these lessons as we continue on this evening. And so as you think about, number one this evening, what makes God sad? Could you ever conceive of, could you ever imagine a way in which your children could make you so angry and so upset that you would devise a plan to destroy them? No, don't answer that question, because I know at times there may have been a case where your child has made you pretty upset because of something that they have done. But I would venture to say that not a single person in here would actually say, I have devised a plan to make sure that my children are destroyed, But here it is the case that God is so upset with his creation that he devises this plan to have them destroyed. Look in your Bible at uh, Genesis chapter number 6 and let's begin looking at verse number 6. When we think about God being sad, I want us to picture God, if we were to, to, to put him in human terms, if we will, and look at, at his face, we would see that the Lord saw, verse number five, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But then notice verse six, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. What a sad scene, is it not? You know, we're only six chapters into the Bible and we've had Adam and Eve fail God. We've had Cain fail God in the sense that he and, and Adam and Eve both did not obey their, his commands And here it is the case now we get to chapter number six and still there's problems taking place. And it's a sad scene and we see God almost if we were to picture him there in heaven looking down upon his creation being downtrodden, being upset, being sad because of what his creation was doing and and it begs the question, why is God so sad? Why does it matter to God what his creation is doing? What, what is such a big deal to him about this in, in the problems in which they have begun to develop in their life? I believe we see maybe a little bit of a clue. If you turn back a page, maybe like it is in my Bible, to chapter number five. Look at chapter number five, and let's begin reading at verse number one. We have chapter five, the chronologies, the genealogies of, of individuals from Adam until Noah. But let's see, beginning of verse number one, what it said. This is the book of genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Okay, we talked about that a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27. The man is created in God's image. But then verse two, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Now notice verse three. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now I know literally in this particular verse, I believe it's intended that God is trying to say that, that Adam had a son and it was in his image that, that he was born much like as you think about Jackson and being created in my image in the sense that sometimes you look at a, a, an individual's child and you see oftentimes a very similar likeness But I believe here that not only do we see that instituted, that very much so there's a likeness in in the way that an individual looks to their father, but also there begins this pattern of devolution, if you will. Whereas Adam and Eve were created in God's image to look like him, to act like him, to be like him, to share the character and nature of him, Eventually, as time goes on, as we studied last week with Cain and Abel, the likeness of human beings, the image of human beings, began to look further and further away from the image of God. Further and further, more uh, distinct and different than the image of God. And so as God looks down on his creation, that which he created and put so much effort into and love into, breathed into the nostrils of Adam, the breath of life, cared for his creation created him in his image as he looks down now over the course of some 1600 years he sees his creation no longer looking like him as he had planned and designed for them to do so and so as you think about what makes God sad I would submit that it is man's unwillingness to have a heart like their creator look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5 we read a moment ago The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The thoughts of man were evil. The thoughts of God are only good, they're only righteous, they're only just, but the thoughts of man were evil. But not only were they evil, but they were only evil in the sense that they didn't think about anything but evil. That's all that they had in their mind was evil thoughts. When you think about Philippians chapter four, verse number eight, that as Christians, we are called to think on things which are good. It was completely the opposite when it came to the inhabitants of the world in Noah's day. The only thing that they thought about was evil. But not only was that the only thing that they thought about, they thought about it continually, continually. If you look at the Hebrew word, it seems to indicate from sunup to sundown all day long, that's how much evil these individuals were thinking about. It's a terrible place. And so as God is looking down and he sees his creation no longer looking like him and in his image, what makes God sad is that man is unwilling, unwilling to have a heart like their creator. To, to think about good things and to internalize character and goodness and justice and mercy and grace and holiness and righteousness. All of the things that God possesses, he didn't see in his creation any longer. But not only was it that man was unwilling to have a heart like their creator, but man was also unwilling to act like their creator. Look at verse number 11 of chapter number 6. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. It wasn't just that mankind was thinking about evil things and only thinking about evil things and only thinking about evil things things continually, but they were corrupt in their actions, and they were practicing violence against others. Think about the world that God's looking down upon, and it no doubt made him sad no doubt tore him up inside and caused him to have this regret that we see that leads him to be so sorry that he would devise this plan to destroy his creation. Man's unwillingness to have a heart like their creator, man's unwillingness to act like their creator, even man's unwillingness to listen to their creator. If you think about it, it's interesting to notice as we think about Second Peter chapter 2, verse number five, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That is, that God had given him this task to go and to, to, to tell and warn people about the impending flood that was coming. That was, that was Noah's task, and that was the message of doom that was coming, this warning that was coming, and yet who were the only ones that listened besides Noah, besides Noah and his family? The animals. Have you ever thought about that? It seems that maybe, depending on how you read verse number 20, that God tells Noah that two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Now, I understand that, that it was part of Noah's responsibility to, to round up these animals, if you will, to have two by two and to have seven of the, uh, of the clean animals. And so there is an element of expectation for Noah to put in some work to do that. But it also seems like there maybe is an indication that the animals were listening to God's warning to go to Noah, at least the two by two ones, the ones that were supposed to get on the boat. And all of, not all of them did. But nevertheless, the point is, even God's lower creation was listening to him. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 3, we have in Isaiah's warning and, and prophecy a, a, a verse that seems to indicate maybe how God would have felt in that moment. It is said here the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider or understand. That's kind of a picture of what we see here in Genesis chapter number six, in which man's crea- God's creation was not listening to him in, in terms of the higher creation, human beings, but that the lower creation was actually listening to him. And so what makes God sad is man's unwillingness to listen to their creator. And then finally, man's unwillingness to take pleasure in their creator. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter number 24, Jesus is speaking and we find that, it, that Jesus says it will be like when the, when the day of judgment comes, it will be like in the days of Noah. In verse number 36, beginning, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, question, what's wrong with any one of those things? Eating and drinking and marrying, perhaps giving your children in marriage. What's wrong with any one of those things? Inherently, nothing. So what is it to be said about why is Jesus saying, well, they were eating and drinking and and marrying and, and giving in marriage? The idea is they were taking pleasure in the things of the flesh and they were paying attention to the things of the day-to-day life, the mundane things, the, the physical food instead of the spiritual food that they should have paid attention to. The physical was more important to them and, and eating and drinking and, and being merry and, and marrying to the point that they weren't paying attention to this important message that Noah was giving to be warned of the impending judgment that was coming. And so what makes God sad as we look at it from Genesis chapter number six is that man was unwilling to have a heart like its creator. Man was unwilling to act like its creator. Man was unwilling to listen to its creator. And man was unwilling to take pleasure in their creator. But as we said, if we boiled this story down into two parts, it's not just, thankfully the first half of the story that we have and only the first half, but rather we find that there is something that makes God glad. As we said in Genesis chapter number six, we find that Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord or grace in the eyes of God. And so what is it that makes God glad? There are various passages in scripture that that seemed to indicate that in some way there might be this level of smiling that God might do. Whereas before, as he's looking down upon his creation and seeing the judgment that he needed to render upon them, it made him sad. And it's almost like he would have been frowning. But as here, as you think about the Lord bless you and keep you, the song that we sing, the, the, the prayer that is prayed in the Old Testament and make his face to shine upon you, The idea is God looking down with favor upon you almost as though he is smiling. What is it that makes God smile about your life? How can we make God smile? Yes, we can make him sad, but there's also something to say for what we can do to make God glad, that God wants us to be good, that God wants us to be right, that God wants us to be individuals that act like we should, and when we do so, it makes God glad. Consider, I should have had those only come up one at a time. I don't know what happened there. I apologize. What makes God glad, number one, is loving him above all else. Loving him above all else. In Genesis chapter six and verse number nine, we find this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations or blameless among those that he was living around. And Noah walked with God. When we think about what makes God glad, it seems as though what we could say is that Noah loved God above all else. He loved him above all else. He was a just man. He wanted to please God. God, as we think about him and his nature, his character, is a just God. And Noah wanted to be like him. He wanted to please him. But not only that, we find that he was perfect or blameless in all of his generations. Not only did Noah want to please God by being just, but he also didn't want... God to look bad by the way that he was living he was blameless among those he was living around there was nothing that could be held to his account and so as people looked at him they couldn't say about Noah well Noah's a terrible person so I'm not going to serve his God they could look at Noah and say he's a just man and Noah didn't want other people to look at at his life and think I shouldn't follow Noah's God that was the opposite case for Noah's life But then also we see that Noah walked with God he wanted to be like God in the sense that perhaps he was it's like he's following in God's footsteps. I think about these three things and I can't help but think about my own children or your own children in your life as they perhaps want to be like you. They love you so much that that's all that they aspire to be. Hopefully, you're, you're, you're leading them in a way that, that uh, they want to be good, they want to be right, they want to be a, 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 whole, a holy person. And that as they look at your life, they want to be like dad, they want to be like mom. And perhaps it's the case for Noah that he loved God so much that he wanted to be like him as well. He was just. He was blameless. He walked with God almost as though he's following in his father's footsteps, trying to be an imitator. As we say sometimes, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And as we think about Noah trying to be like his God, it demonstrated that he loved him above all else. But then secondly, we see that what makes God glad is not only loving him above all else, but also trusting him above all else. You could look at Matthew, or Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 through 22, and we could see that there are a variety of commands that, that God gives to Noah, but especially what seems to be a very interesting command is the fact that he's supposed to build this ark, right, that we've been talking about all evening. He's supposed to build this boat. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying to you, build a boat, and I want you to do it in the middle of this dried land here where there's no water, and and I understand that as we think about back to chapter number two that there was perhaps this mist maybe coming out of the ground, but there's no rain that Noah perhaps had ever seen before, and certainly no global flood that Noah had ever seen before, and yet as we think about Hebrews chapter 11 verse number seven Noah trusted God he had faith in God despite having never seen these things Noah trusted him above all else you think about the fact that it seems to indicate in scripture that Noah was told to get on the boat about a week before the rain began to fall not only had he trusted him for this time period to build this ark once he gets on the ark he has to trust that eventually the rain will actually start to fall and then beyond that, once the rain does start to fall, can you imagine how much that ship weighed? Can you imagine how much just one of the beams of the ship weighed? To be able to carry it, and to, however he, he engineered to be able to build that thing is just absolutely amazing with the technology that he would have had in that day. But can you imagine Noah thinking, man, it took us all of these different tools to be able to just move this one beam to get it right into place, And I know how much this thing weighs, and you put all those parts together, and he's sitting there, and he's having to trust God that when the rain starts to fall, and the rain starts to develop into floodwaters, that that boat is going to take lift, lift off of the ground. That takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? To stay in the boat, because if it doesn't lift off, that, those floodwaters are gonna come into the ark, and eventually, you're gonna be trapped inside, and you're gonna drown. Maybe I should just get out and swim. No, he trusts that God's plan would come to fruition, that he would be protected. Noah trusted God not only to get into the ark, and not only for that it would eventually float, but that he trusted that he would have enough food on the ark to be able to survive for the time period that he was on the ark for about an entire year, that he had enough provision to stay alive And that as he's on the ark, that as the floodwaters move the ark around, it's so high up into the mountains, as scripture tells us, that Noah has to trust that God is going to protect the ark to not run it aground. You think about the Titanic running into an iceberg. Can you imagine your ship running into Mount Everest? Imagine the trust that Noah had to place in God, that God would protect him. It makes God glad when we trust him that much. Sometimes our lives require some trusting of God. In fact, all of our lives do, really. But there are some especially trying times in which we have to trust our God, that we have to trust that even if he doesn't work out the things in this life that we wish he would work out, that ultimately in in eternity, that he will take care of us, that he will protect us, and it makes God glad when you trust him. It makes God glad when you stop worrying. It makes God glad when you stop brooding and and allowing your mind to be controlled by the circumstances of the day. It makes him glad when you trust him, that you know he's going to take care of you. It also makes God glad when we follow his commandments above all else. Four times, four times we see it is said of Noah, that he did all that God commanded him. Look at chapter six, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Then look at chapter seven, verse five. And Noah did according to all that, he, that the Lord had commanded him. Then look at verse number nine. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Verse number 16. So those who entered Male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. We find a very important precedent set forth in this account of Noah and the global flood that it matters to God that we obey him. It matters to him that we follow his commandments precisely and we do so above all else There have been sermons preached and Bible classes taught so often over the years about the fact that Noah didn't have the luxury to say, but God, I think that this particular structure would work better. Or, but God, I should use this particular wood instead of what you commanded me to use. Whether that's gopher wood or birch, however it ends up being translated, God told Noah to use a particular type of wood and Noah would have known what type of wood that would have been. And Noah didn't have the luxury to make suggestions to God, well, what about this or what about that? Instead, he followed God's commands precisely. Now, Noah didn't earn God's salvation or rescue in the sense that, that it was owed to Noah. Noah wasn't a perfect man, but the commands that he followed led to Noah being rescued because if he would never built the ark, If he had never built it the way that God had commanded, Noah wouldn't have been saved. Noah wouldn't have been rescued. But it made God glad that he would listen and trust him that much that ultimately that he could be saved. And so it makes God glad when we love him above all else, when we trust him above all else, when we follow his commands above all else, and when we teach our family to love him above all else. Look back at chapter number six. I know I have chapter seven, verse number seven there on the screen first, but look at chapter six and verse number 18. Notice that from the very outset of this whole devised plan, Noah's family, it was a given that they were gonna be on the ark too. And it seems to me that maybe we can infer from that that all along Noah had been rearing his family and, and, and leading his family to love God as well. Because it wasn't, there was no stipulations placed there on Noah said, no, and your family could join you too if they would change, if they would be a little bit more like me, if they'd be a little bit more like you, Noah. No, it seems as though they're already following God, that Noah is leading his family to the point that they are mentioned in chapter six, verse number 18. Turn to the page, chapter seven, verse number seven. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his son's wife went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. There's, there's his family before the ark. There's his family at the ark and boarding the ark. And then if you continue on, look at verse number 13. There they are on the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wives and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. And then look at chapter 8, verses 15 through 18. We find that throughout the entire turmoil of the flood, they stay safe on the ark. And God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. We're going to talk about praising and thanking him above all else here in a second. It's also interesting to notice, we don't have their names specifically mentioned when they come out of the the ship and they offer the sacrifice to God. But it says in chapter 9, verse number 1, so God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, why was he blessing them? Oh, certainly because of the fact that he'd obeyed his commands all along, but also I believe there's something to be tied to back at the end of chapter number eight in which they are praising and thanking God and offering the sacrifice. So it is the case that it makes God glad when we raise our families to love the Lord. It makes him happy You talk about wanting to do maybe some really important things and grand things in this life. Maybe you want to to develop some grand business. Maybe you want to cure cancer. Maybe you want to do something that makes the Lord happy. But I tell you something, it makes God happy. It makes God glad when you just raise your family to love him. It matters to God. Let's look at that as something that's important It's something that matters. It's something that is consequential because it makes God happy. It makes him glad. And finally, as we mentioned, look at chapter eight, verses 20 through 22. What makes God glad is not when we are proud of ourselves, when we elevate ourselves above others, but rather that when we are rescued, that we recognize that God did the rescuing that God is the one who saved us, then Noah, as he comes out of the ark, verse number 20, built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and, of, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night, shall not cease it made God glad it meant something to God that when Noah came out of the ark he didn't look at that ark and say man I built that that thing that I built rescued me I, I know sometimes we get a sense of you know pride and accomplishment whenever we maybe do some house renovation project and we look back at our at our job and say man I did that that was, that was pretty cool Noah when he gets off the ship he recognizes it was God that rescued him and he praises and thanks God for that and certainly, as, as God looks down, he smells the soothing aroma, and it made God glad. As we close this evening, I want us to think about one thing where we began. So, we talked about the fact that we are created in God's image, that it, over time, it seems as though man's image began to be uh, devolved and it looked further and further away and less and less like God. But it is the case that in Romans chapter 8, verse number 29, that as Christians, you and I today are called to be conformed to the image of his son. That plan for us to look like God hasn't gone away. It's still in effect. God wants us to act like him and to think like him and to treat others like him and to love him. And sometimes I wonder, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all do, when God looks down at the world around us, does, is he sad? I think he is in many regards. But I tell you what, as I look around at this room here, I know that God is looking down on a room full of people that make him glad. Men and women, Bible class teachers and elders and, and widows and widowers and m- mothers and fathers and husbands and wives who are who are making God glad because they love the Lord, they trust in him, and we are all in this room to be commended for that. It ought to be our ultimate goal and our ultimate aim that we bring glory to God through our lives because we love Him so much. And in doing so, we'll make God glad. This evening, if you're not a Christian, we find that the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. And I know for a fact that it also, God rejoices when a sinner repents, and you have that opportunity to do so right now, to make God glad in this moment as you give your life over to him and allow your sins to be washed away in the water of grave of baptism. Perhaps you have already done that, though, and over time you've allowed your life to drift away from being like God, being like the image of God, and you know that your life in some form or fashion has made God sad. What better time than right now, to make it right, to start over, to try to have and live a life that makes God glad again. This story is not just for kids. It's a story, it's an account of scripture that ought to remind us every day that God loves us and he wants the best for us and that he wants us to be with him in heaven. Will you be there? If there's anything that we can do for you, we ask that you come as together we stand, as we sing.